ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. That was quite clearly a brig. It was the right size. And finally, if you look at the illustrations of the people on deck, they are renditions of convict slop clothing. It is certain that it is the Cyprus. The year was 1830, and the Cyprus was a hijacked convict ship. Not long ago, Professor Hamish Maxwell-Stewart, an expert in Australia's penal history, received an email from Japan-based historian Nick Russell. Nick claimed to have found evidence in an old illustrated samurai manuscript that told of a 19th century encounter between Japanese people and a shipload of escaped convicts from Van Diemen's land. Hello, Kirsty Melville here with The History Listen. And in part two of Through Samurai Eyes, we learn how Nick Russell's fine detective work solved a mystery that began in colonial Australia and led all the way to Edo-era Japan. The story details the audacious hijack of a ship in the penal colony of Van Diemen's Land. Producers Tim Stone and Aya Hitano travel to Tasmania to unravel the events which led to a fateful cross-cultural encounter. At seven o'clock, the ceased firing, and a breeze springing off the land, we got underway. I was desired to steer within 100 miles of Canton, where there the prisoners said they would destroy the ship to get rid of her, to avoid apprehension as pirates. To capture the mutineers stroke pirates, news of the event had to be broadcast right the way across the empire. It meant that the failure of the colonial regime was also advertised very widely. It was very, very important for both the authorities in London and those in the colonies that those who participated in this event were held to account. Somebody was going to swing for the piracy of the Cyprus, and they would swing in spectacular fashion. Although some discrepancy may arise in my account as to the date of this attack and the number of convicts on board, to the best of my belief and knowledge, the main points are true. And this I solemnly and seriously, in the presence of God, swear to be the case. Your humble servant, William Swallow. Just two years ago, historian Nick Russell discovered two samurai manuscripts detailing the arrival of a mysterious foreign ship off the coast of Shikoku, Japan, in 1830. When I was trying to identify the ship, I started to look at other stories about ships at that time, and I found that mutinies were quite common. Mutinies happened maybe once every five or six years, and that was finally the point where I was like, OK, let's just type in mutiny 1829 and see what comes up. In the end, Nick solved the mystery with a simple Google search. I had enough knowledge about the ship in Japan at that point to just say, this is it, and I found the Cyprus. As soon as I've kind of joined those two dots, now I've got to prove it to a point where the skeptical people will believe me. One of the first people Nick needed to convince was Australian historian Warwick Hurst, author of two books about the captain of the Cyprus brig, the convict William Swallow. 
quite out of the blue, I got an email from Nick Russell telling me that he'd found this, and we commenced a, a correspondence. Quite a number of similarities between the Japanese account and Swallow's account, the ship being struck between wind and water. The main source of the Cyprus's 11-day visit to Japan is the manuscript, an illustrated account of the arrival of a foreign ship. Commander Mima ordered fire to be directed at the waterline, where the ship was lined with copper. They opened fire upon us, and we received a shot between wind and water. Swallow mentions that he wrote a letter to be taken ashore, and one of the Japanese samurai, he took a letter from Swallow ashore. And a boat came alongside with a Japan chief in her. And by what I could understand, by his motions and signs, he wanted a letter to inform him what we wanted. Don't accept anything from the barbarians. Return that letter immediately. The Japanese accounts are just so match up with what Swallow said that I just think there can be very little doubt the Cyprus visited Japan. Nick Russell's discovery connected the foreign ship in the Hamaguchi manuscript to one of colonial Australia's greatest convict escape stories. The story of the Cyprus, a brig seized by convicts on their way to Macaulay Harbour, who then sailed it away to freedom. Importantly, Hamaguchi's manuscript proved William Swallow's claims that the Cyprus had been to Japan. Welcome. Come in. Great to see you. We've come to Hobart to meet with historian Hamish Maxwell-Stewart, an expert on Australia's convict past. Using Tasmanian archives, he verified the ship in Hamaguchi's manuscript as the Cyprus. I get emails all the time from other researchers, members of the public, lots and lots of family historians wanting to know whether I've got extra details on a a convict ancestor. And so um, Nick's email rolled in and I didn't think much of it until he sent me images of the mutineers, as we now know, standing on the deck of the Cyprus. They lined the side of the boat and with both hands open indicated that they were ten in number. When he showed me the image of one of the, um, the pirates holding up what I could see was a cutthroat razor, you know, kind of like tricky thing to to identify unless you're familiar with them. And I knew that there was a box of cutthroat razors um, on board the brig. The skipper used a small knife to cut a length of dark red tobacco. He rolled it in his hand, then placed it in a suspicious looking object, sucked in and then breathed out smoke. There was another thing Nick told me, that the Japanese um, authorities were puzzled that the mutineers asked for water, but not for food. But I knew that they had enough supplies to keep a whole penal station running for months on board. So food was one thing that they weren't in short supply, but of course water would be. It is certain that it is the Cyprus. Bread, salt beef, pork, peas, oatmeal, three chests of tea, five bags of sugar, one cask of butter... After the Cyprus had left Japanese waters, she was scuttled and sunk near Wampau, or modern-day Hong Kong. From there, Swallow and four of the remaining convict crew made their way back to England. 
but as the most wanted man in the British Empire. It wasn't long until the pirates were captured and put on trial. The five men before you, having recently been apprehended on their arrival from Canton, Watts, Davis, Stevenson, Beveridge, and Swallow, are hereby charged with piratically and feloniously setting upon a brig called the Cypress, the property of our late lord, the king, and piratically and feloniously beating and wounding John Popjoy and others, mariners lawfully on board the said ship, and piratically and feloniously stealing and running away with the said vessel, and boats and apparel and tackle and furniture thereof, value 2,000 pounds. During the trial in London, Swallow made two contentious claims. One, that the Cyprus had visited Japan, and two, that as the only skilled navigator amongst the convicts, he had no choice but to captain the brig. I was ill at the time and forced to take charge of the Cyprus, and this I solemnly and seriously, in the presence of God, swear to be the case. Now that Swallow's encounter in Japan had been proven, is it possible this claim that he was forced to captain the Cyprus was also true? The Cyprus escape particularly intrigued me, I think mainly because of William Swallow himself, who had already successfully escaped back to England once before. And the more I read about him, the more I realised that he was a really remarkable fellow. He had great powers of leadership, he was an expert navigator, he was very resourceful, and at his trial he showed that he had a very glib tongue. While the other four convicts pleaded their innocence or denied their involvement, Swallow gave the court a full account of what happened. I must humbly beg leave to submit for your information a full statement of the facts as they occurred from the time of her seizure until she was scuttled and sunk. So, was the Swallow telling the truth? Or had his testimony been carefully prepared? It had to be Swallow, who was the main driving force because he was the only person who could navigate. He was a professional seaman. He darted his seamanship transporting coal between the Baltic States and England. He'd been impressed into the Royal Navy during the Napoleonic Wars. So he was a very, very experienced seaman. It couldn't have happened without Swallow, basically. He was integral. Upon our arrival at Van Diemen's Land, I was very strongly recommended to the governor, Colonel Arthur, both by the captain and doctor of the Georgiana, and in consequence made coxswain of the guard boat, and then was sent on board the Georgiana to work as a sailmaker. He had about five or six other aliases. His real name was actually William Walker, and he was born in North Shields in, in the north of England. In order to convince you the veracity of this account, it will be necessary that I should give some account of myself and character and show by what unfortunate occurrence I became a convict and ultimately transported to Van Diemen's land. Keen to learn more about William Swallow, we've come to see his convict records, held in the Tasmanian archives. I'm Caroline Homer, manager of the State Library and Archive Service. So this is the record when he came out as William Swallow on the Georgiana. If you just look in the, the margin there, you can see that C reference, and it's referring you back to convict number 323, William Walker. So they have noted that 
he was one and the same. So there we've got three identities. We've got William Walker, William Swallow, alias William Brown. When he came out as William Swallow, this was the assignment record. So he is here, sorry, William Swallow, um, 39. And he's a seaman, I think he's described as there. Alias Brown again. And he's been assigned to the boat crew. And we've got jail written there, so... Not for long. <laughs> Not for long. But unfortunately for me, I was suspected of stowing away for the purpose of making my escape. In consequence, I was put on board the Cypress. The single most common offence that sent convicts to a place like Macquarie Harbour was attempting to run away. Um, these were places where the hardcore absconders from right the way across eastern Australia congregated. And so it's not perhaps surprising that they should try and um, test the confident pronouncements of surveyor generals and other colonial officials that said escape would be impossible. Like Hamaguchi's record of the event in Japan, Swallow's account of the mutiny is extremely detailed. On the afternoon part of the day, the 14th of August, 1829, while the Cypress was laying in research bay at anchor, Lieutenant Carew, Dr. Williams, William Burns' chief mate, John Popjoy, and one soldier went away in the jolly boat fishing, leaving the vessel in charge of Captain Harrison and the carpenter. Seven seamen, one passenger, 12 soldiers, and as near as memory serves me, 31 convicts. This was about half past five o'clock, and I'm sorry to have occasion to remark, but Captain Harrison was dead drunk. Five is the number allowed on deck, no more. We have the officer's liberty to prevent sickness spreading in the hold. I was in bed in my cabin. I then heard the noise of breaking the chains, and in about 10 minutes, heard the report of another musket, and then of the crew named Morgan calling out, the ship is taken by the prisoners. Keep the buckers down, keep the buckers down. The foxhole hatches were then lifted off, and the prisoners ordered me to come on deck immediately and take charge of the ship. Fellow prisoners, now is your time. I went upon deck, and when there, saw two soldiers laying on the deck, and one seaman wounded in his head. Hand up your weapons and no harm will come. Thirteen of the convicts were walking the decks armed with muskets, and wearing the soldiers' belts, the other convicts were putting seven soldiers into the longboat to put them on shore. You two stand guard over the binnacle. We will not risk the compass. Stand sentry on the gangway. Let no more spirits to come out of the cabin. The other boat returned with Lieutenant Carew and Dr. Williams, who endeavoured to come on board at the chains. Matthew Pennell, one of the prisoners, then presented a musket to Lieutenant Carew. Pennell exclaimed, I will have blood for supper! And in attempting to discharge, it flashed in the pan. Surrender the ship, and I will think no more of this business. The ship is no longer in His Majesty's service, Lieutenant. Thank you. 
Swallow always maintained that he was below deck at the time of the attack and in no fit state to lead a mutiny. But while researching his book, Warwick Hurst found evidence that challenges this claim. Private Scully, he claimed that he saw Swallow swabbing the deck on the morning of the mutiny. And, you know, that's an interesting little sidelight on contradicting what Swallow had said. I will blow your brains out if you do not take charge of the binnacle. In England, the trial of the convict caused a sensation. We tracked down a descendant of Walter Williams, the surgeon on board the Cyprus. My name's John Williams, and my great-grandfather was on the ship, the Cyprus, which was seized, and William Swallow, who'd been regarded as the leader of the pirates, but he was a forced man, said in court, if Dr. Williams was here, he could tell you that this was the truth. Walter had, in fact, treated this William Swallow a stricture when he was on the Cyprus, I believe. That's a, a urinary blockage. And so they had struck up quite a repartee between the two of them and, a, and a respect for one another. <laughs> Under Dr. Williams's hands, I underwent an operation which, if unattended, would have been with dangerous consequences. While laying in the state, that violent and daring attack upon the Cyprus took place. When he actually arrived at the court, this was heaven for Swallow, because he was able to um, confirm what Swallow had been saying. Had the prisoner Swallow been under your care? Yes, for some days previous. His complaint was a very serious one. He was labouring under it at the time the vessel was captured. I had just pronounced him convalescent and he was in a fair way of recovery, but exceedingly weak. Before being put on board the Cyprus, Swallow and the other convicts were held at Hobart Town Barracks. And it's here that Warwick Hurst believes the men made their plans to seize the ship. My name's Michelle Austin. Um, I'm a guide at the Hobart Convict Penitentiary. Swallow would have been quite familiar with this site. He would have known how it ran. Hobart Jail was known for escapes. It was quite hard to keep these prisoners in because there was too many uh, prisoners who were quite cluey. They knew how to, how to get out. Convicts often worked together? Yep, they'd often worked together. So they were very careful on who they told. So it was extremely important who they could trust. John Popjoy was a convict who was on the Cyprus. Initially, he appears to have joined the mutiny, but then changed his mind and went ashore with the crew and the soldiers. Now, when Swallow and the other four convicts were put on trial, Popjoy was actually in London at the time, and he appeared as a witness. Swallow was very busy during the mutiny and seizure of the brig. He called out for an axe to cut the stopper in order to prevent the vessel from driving. I saw him force the locks from the hatches. He asked Captain Harrison for the ship's register. He appeared to direct everything. His evidence is a bit contradictory, but he seems to have come down on the side of saying that Swallow was definitely the leader. 
But then he seemed to sort of prevaricate and say maybe he wasn't. He wasn't a very satisfactory witness for the prosecution. Popjoy is a base, lying villain and was in irons himself when the brig was taken. The Lieutenant Carew, Dr Williams and Popjoy had left the, the Cyprus in a boat to do some fishing and when they came back, Swallow claims he said to them, I've been forced into this, I couldn't help it. Dr Williams actually confirmed this at, at the trial. I then went to the gangway and spoke to Lieutenant Carew and Dr Williams and said, I hope you clearly see the situation I'm in. I'm a pressed man and compelled to take charge of the ship, although against my will. Lieutenant Carew then said, My man, I see how you are situated, but I cannot assist you. My theory is that Swallow, he was a very clever man, and he'd said this deliberately to cover himself in case they were captured. At about four o'clock in the morning, by moonlight, we shipped the anchor, not being able to get it up, and set the topsails. The prisoners then all came aft and gave three cheers. I now counted the number of hands and found 17 able convicts in number, besides myself. The Cyprus, having been seized by the convicts, sailed off under the command, the unwilling command, of William Swallow. Hobart Town Courier, Saturday the 29th of August, 1829. It is with much regret we state that the Cyprus, which sailed from Hobart Town for Macquarie Harbour, with stores and prisoners under a guard of troops, has been captured by the prisoners and carried out to sea. It is believed that a man named Swallow and another named Walker, who came out lately in the Georgiana, have been the chief projectors of this daring attempt. Though the Cyprus is well furnished and provisioned, there is but a small allowance of water. And without charts, there is not a single chance of their ultimate success. But is it possible to captain a sailing vessel against your will? We've come aboard the Lady Nelson, a Hobart-based training vessel, to test Swallow's claim. the aft cabin, down the companionway. I'm Rob Thomas and I'm um, bosun on board the vessel, the Lady Nelson. It is a brig, which means it has uh, two masts and square sails on both masts, which would have been the same as the Cyprus. It's a little smaller than the Cyprus, but very similar in the way the sails are arranged as would have been on the Cyprus. We're ready, sheets and tacks starboard. Ready. Sheets and tacks port. Ready. Good. Bunsen clues port. Ready. Bunsen clues starboard. Ready. Okay. Release Bunsen clues, haul on sheets and tacks. Tuck up in there a bit more, mate. More top sheets. On a boat, there's no democracy, right? It's, it, it's a chain of command system and it has to be a chain of command system because any one sail, doesn't matter if it's his boat or a bigger one, uh, can't be set by one person. It usually needs four people. It works best when it's teamwork. You know, the, the crew trusts the skipper and the skipper trusts the crew because the, both of them can't take the boat anywhere without the other. 
I don't know how long it took to Cyprus to get to Japan, but it could have been three months. It'd be fairly straightforward for an experienced crew with masters who knew what they were doing, but for a crew with limited sailing experience and limited navigation experience, it would have been quite a journey, I reckon, quite a journey. And I reckon there would have been quite a bit of hit and miss in navigation. I suspect they probably island hopped, because my guess is they wouldn't want to be in one spot for too long. Would have thought that the British Navy would be after them, I should think, as convicts. Have you reached a unanimous verdict? We have, Your Honour. For the charge of the piratical seizure of the Cyprus, we find the defendants as follows. George James Davis, guilty. William Watts, guilty. Alexander Stevenson, guilty. John Beveridge, guilty. William Swallow, not guilty. Found not guilty, Swallow was sent to Tasmania one last time and died at Port Arthur in 1834, just four years after the Cyprus made its extraordinary voyage. But through the recently discovered samurai manuscript in Japan, Swallow's life lives on. In order to convince you the veracity of this account, it will be necessary that I should give some account of myself and character unsure by what unfortunate occurrence I became a convict and ultimately transported to Van Diemen's land. Successful escapes usually end with a blank in the record. Here we have really, really graphic evidence of the route that they took to a temporary freedom, evidence of what they went through and how they conducted themselves. I think that that's just you know, immeasurably important. Swallow and his men came from an island and arrived at an island. Perhaps the convicts and samurai had more in common than they thought, independent spirit and a distaste for authority. Just 23 years after the visit of the Cyprus, Japan would be forced to open its borders to foreigners, a move that would forever change the country and its people. Hamaguchi's manuscript and Swallow's testimony are a snapshot of first contact between Japan and Australia. Recording a unique encounter between samurai and a group of convict men trying to forge a new identity in a new land, free from chains and British tyranny. Across the equator and ran north to latitude 38 degrees and made the coast of Japan. The skipper brought out a red coat to show us. This was a thing of great beauty and most colourful. We saw not a single weapon. Out of the discovery, I'd like to see some kind of cultural exchange between Australia, Japan, between Tokushima and Tasmania. I think that would be a good thing for, for the prefecture, for the town, for the island. And I'm hoping that there'll be more manuscripts, more archival material that might be found.
Since historian Nick Russell connected the story of the Cypress Brig to events recorded by samurai artist Makita Hamaguchi off the coast of Japan in 1830, another six manuscripts have been found, including two belonging to descendants of samurai involved in the convict encounter. Amazing. Through Samurai Eyes was presented and produced by Tim Stone and Aya Hitano. The supervising producer was Michelle Rayner and the sound engineer, Angie Grant. I'm Kirsty Melville and I do hope you can join me next time on the History Listen for another journey into time. See you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.